We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 83 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. We've got a packed show for you guys today, starting with Gamecocks men's basketball, taking games against both Texas A&M and Ole Miss. We'll also talk Carolina baseball, taking two of three on opening weekend, as well as getting a big-time midweek win. We also discuss some football news and notes and have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks fullback and current Buffalo Bill Patrick DeMarco. Before we get into all that, this is a podcast presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. It's the best ticket-buying app out there by far. They've actually got a ticket rating system, which they rate the tickets for you based on a color coding system. So you know whether you're getting a really, really good deal or maybe if you're kind of getting ripped off. Again, go to our friends over at SeatGeek, download the SeatGeek app, Use our promo code SPURSUP. You're going to get $10 off your first purchase. We're talking NBA, NHL, college basketball, any South Carolina baseball games you want to go to, concerts, comedy club events. They've got it all there for you. Anything and everything you need a ticket to, SeatGeek has got. They've actually got the best prices as well, and it's very, very easy to use. So, again, go download the SeatGeek app. Use our promo code SPURSUP and save yourself $10 off your first order today. All right, let's get into it. I'm Chris Phillips. No Thomas Floyd today. Tom is actually busy doing other things with schoolwork, stuff like that. He had stuff come up, of course. You know, Tom. Uh, so you're gonna, you're just gonna get a big dose of me today. Uh, but there's a lot to talk about. I definitely want to go over. First off, um, I want to say because we start every show with this. My weekend was pretty good. Did what I'm gonna be doing for a lot of the next couple of weekends, the next couple of months, you could say, which is watching South Carolina baseball. But I want to start. On the hardwood, South Carolina, because we just got done. We obviously record these on Tuesday night. Just finished up watching South Carolina um, take down the Ole Miss Rebels in what was labeled as a must-win game by really all of our followers, everyone that talked about and talks about South Carolina basketball. Uh, Gamecocks get a huge win. South Carolina wins over Ole Miss 79-64 in a blowout fashion. The game started, um, like many of the other South Carolina games we've seen throughout this season, Gamecocks. Uh, down 13-2 to start this game. I mean, it was very much a – did not look good. If any of you saw my best bet, which I know I got some some backlash for this, definitely after the game as well, I actually picked the Ole Miss Rebels minus two and a half. I really thought that South Carolina um, 
you know, they were going to come out flat. I really thought this was going to be the game where South Carolina maybe had a cold shooting night. It really, in my opinion, South Carolina felt due to somewhat have a cold shooting night and, you know, just kind of lose one of these games because you can only live so long off of, you know, falling behind, especially, you know, obviously in conference play, falling big behind and making a living off making these comebacks and, um, you know, winning these big games. But South Carolina, again, able to find a way. Gamecocks get down 13-2, to um, go on a 16-0 run. Again, at halftime, they're up by 8-40 to 32, and then end up winning this one 79-64. I, I, I mean, I'll just say this. This team continues to amaze me. I mean, it's crazy to think that just a couple of months ago, a couple short months ago, we were sitting here talking about South Carolina going on the road losing to a Wyoming team. We were talking about South Carolina losing to a Stony Brook team. We were talking about South Carolina losing an exhibition to Augusta. I mean, so many different times. I think there were times you could have given up on this team, really just had your doubts, and South Carolina comes into a game again that many, many labeled a must win. I mean, listen, many labeled tonight's game against Ole Miss a must win that it was going to sort of define the direction of the program. I honestly thought there was a little too much pressure put on tonight's game. I thought – even if you win this one again, listen. I know you have you know the hype. You have the two two game cushion, if you will, over Ole Miss now because you have the tiebreaker over them, um, and you're a game better, and you don't play them again. So you basically do have a two game cushion. But again, South Carolina, I think, still has to continue to finish out the season strong. They've got to take care of business, um, you know, and to lock up that number four seed and obviously the buy in the SEC tournament. But Gamecocks came out, and I think, really, really played and really played off the energy of the crowd. I thought the crowd was pretty good at Colonial Life Arena. Um, and I thought South Carolina's team played with a lot of energy as well. I mean, you take a look at the stat line, and, and it's just it just continues to be the same story for South Carolina. Gamecock shoot 42% from the field, but shoot 47% from three-point range. Um, you take a look, Chris Silva. I mean, anytime Chris Silva is around the 20-point mark and he's leading South Carolina in points, you're going to be in for a good night. Chris Silva with 18 points overall. Um, had four rebounds, two assists, one steal, three blocks. He was a monster tonight. A.J. Lawson, another guy that had a monster dunk that I know is get, probably going to get some national attention. A guy that had a fantastic game in his own right. Again, 15 points, uh, nine rebounds, six assists, three steals. What a player he is, man. What a player A.J. Lawson is and what a player A.J. Lawson is going to be for South Carolina. Frank Martin's biggest recruiting job the rest of his South Carolina coaching career is making sure guys like A.J. Lawson, um, Keyshawn Bryan, his youngsters, his young superstars stay on campus because if he can do that and obviously continue to add some pieces, A.J. Lawson is – he's already, in my opinion, a star in the SEC, but I think he can be a star nationally. A.J. Lawson has got some real, real game. Um, Another guy, again, Hassani Gravitt continues to play well. He was a guy who had 15 points as well, three – excuse me, four of six from three-point range. Just a guy that continues to play well, being that sixth man off the bench. A guy that I've been really, really impressed with. Again, he was very, very inconsistent a year ago. And a guy that just continues to to play well for South Carolina, especially when they need him most. I mean, this Gamecocks team, again, to me, it's I'm speechless. I don't really know what you can say about this Gamecocks team. I mean, it's it's crazy to me. Game in, game out. I can, I, I'll continue to say I don't think you can continue to play and get down and, you know, get way behind someone, especially a good team, and you, you can't live like that. Like, you're not going to win games like that, but South Carolina does not care. They continue to get in these games where it seems like they need to get down 10 points before they sort of 
or they flip the switch. They sort of just turn it on. I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm more than impressed. I mean, this was a huge one. Again, I thought there was a lot of pressure on this one tonight. And, and you know, South Carolina found a way. I mean, again, a 15-point win. We're not even talking about a close game. Um, I, I just think it's crazy. I think, you're, I think what you're really looking at right now, this South Carolina team, I think you're looking at a team that is playing with so much confidence. I think this team has really found its rhythm, really found its groove. I mean, you're, not, you're 14 and 12 overall, but you're 9 and 4 in the conference now uh, with, with a trip to, uh, to Starkville looming on Saturday, uh, which I think will probably be your toughest game you have left. I mean, other than that, you're playing Alabama. You, know, you, have, some, you have some pretty manageable games coming up in the rest of the schedule. Um, <clears throat> you know, but overall, I mean, this Gamecocks team to me looks as confident as they've looked all season. Uh, and it goes, these freshmen are really, really in their own. I mean, Keyshawn Bryant also had – he had 10 points tonight, six rebounds. Um, I mean, the, all the freshmen are playing really well. So, you know, your veterans, Gravit, Silva, Coatsar, even, they're all playing with tons of confidence. This entire team exudes confidence when it's on the floor. I mean, that, that is a great thing to see. That this team, no matter how much they get down, I mean, they know they can come back. I think I saw the stat that South Carolina has won five games this season in conference play when they were down by double digits and they've come back and won, won those games. I think coming into this season, South Carolina won three of those games in all of Frank Martin's tenure combined. So, I mean, you think of just how crazy that is that South Carolina has been able to find itself down again, double digits and make a comeback. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, that game came on, it really started kind of how I thought maybe the whole game was going to go again. Why I took the rebels with the minus two and a half. I really thought that, Listen, it was going to kind of come to a head where South County, you know, you've been living kind of on the edge, if you will, with these these double digits, double digit deficits, and you know, I really thought it would catch up with them. And I mean, <clears throat> you look at the score; it was thirteen to two, and you're thinking, well, <clears throat> excuse me, this might be one of those nights for South County that I was talking about. But the Gamecocks can just continue to fight, continue to be tough, continue to be resilient. I think I've said it before that really no South Carolina team, it doesn't matter what sport. I don't think there's been a South Carolina team that I can really remember at, at University of South Carolina that was, you know, above average or very, very, very good if they weren't tough. That, that has to be one of the characteristics of a great – most great teams is you have a level of toughness, of mental toughness. And this team seems to have it. I mean, this team without a doubt have, has it. There's no way you can, you can make the type of comebacks that they've been making um, if you don't have that mental toughness. So, I, I just – Again, I've said it. I feel like I say it every single week. Tip of the cap to Frank Martin, his coaching staff, these players for what they've done. I mean, and again, this is a team now that I think we're having serious conversations about. South Carolina is legitimately on the bubble. I think South Carolina can be a legitimate bubble team. I mean, you know, I've read some stuff today that people think that South Carolina needs to finish, I guess, five and one. Um, Going to need to finish five and one of the last six. And you know, this was arguably the hardest game left or, or you know, maybe second hardest to the, the road trip Saturday to Mississippi State. But, I mean, you know, overall just a huge win. It was one that you really felt like you had to have. I know it was one that, <clears throat> you know, we ran a poll yesterday, uh, poll question saying, you know, do you feel like the old Miss game is a must win? And I think it was a 1,000 people voted. <clears throat> a 1,000 people voted. I think it was 96% of you guys said that, yes, this was a must-win game. <laughs> I mean – so, you know, for South Carolina to kind of shoulder that pressure, get down early and find a way to come back and win anyways, it, is, it, it just really speaks, to the, speaks volumes to what Frank Martin has built at South Carolina. 
the type of character he has on his team. And, you know, it's just great. It's great to be a Gamecock basketball fan right now. I mean, South Carolina gave him a sole possession of fourth in the SEC. Right now at the season end of the day, your Gamecocks are getting a bye going in the SEC tournament, which is obviously huge. And, again, for a team that's going to be on the bubble, that's going to need to win, you know, I'd imagine going to need to win a couple in the SEC tournament. I mean, that, that that's huge for South Carolina. We know how, how big time the first-round buys are in college basketball and really in sports in general. Um, <clears throat> again, so huge win for the Gamecocks. Uh, moving into baseball, Carolina taking two of three from Liberty. Also, you, again, we're recording this on Tuesday night. Gamecocks getting a huge midweek comeback win over Winthrop. Uh, Gamecocks were down 6 nothing in the third inning, come all the way back to win that game 8-6 to six tonight when I thought was a huge win. We'll start with the weekend series. Um, just some quick thoughts. I know you guys probably listened to me on the Daily Crow and I kind of went over, you know, the series in general. But I, I just want to give some quick thoughts on it. You know, South Carolina, again, takes two of three from Liberty. Overall, I thought a good week, a, a good way to start the 2019 season. First things first, give a tip of the cap to Liberty, man. Liberty's a good squad. I'll be very interested to see how Liberty does the rest of the season. Um, the Flames were, were no joke. And I think South Carolina was very, very glad. I know I was to see them see them leave Columbia. They gave South Carolina all they wanted more every single game besides the Saturday game. The Friday and Sunday games were extremely close. I mean, South Carolina could have, could have easily lost that series. Could have easily lost that series. Could have also easily swept. Um, so you can definitely go both ways. But I was very, very impressed with Liberty. Those guys had some very high-quality arms, especially on Friday. Obviously, Gamecocks dropped. Drop the opening day game, which, you know, it's never fun to lose opening day. Listen, you know, I I can definitely attest. You you never want to lose on opening day. You know, it's it's just not fun. You've been looking forward to the season for so long. We literally counted down to the baseball season for an entire month. And when you lose that opening day game, it definitely takes some of the excitement and kind of it kind of stings a little bit. Um, I was very impressed with the way South Carolina was able to rebound, though. Obviously, again, another team showing resiliency. Again, able to win the next two of three because really what it comes down to in college baseball, if you can win every single series you're in, that's what's most important. That's what matters. Just win every single weekend. Find a way to take two or three. Obviously, you want to be able to get the sweep when you have that opportunity because all it does is obviously boost record. You know, it, it, it builds confidence in your team. Um, but when you lose Friday especially – Winning the next two and taking that series is, is of utmost importance. And I thought South Carolina showed great resiliency in that. Obviously, Gamecocks breaking in a ton of new faces. Um, the biggest thing, you know, that I've been disappointed with and that has really bothered me through the first four games, you know, is just overall pitching. I'm pit, the pitching staff is something that's got to get figured out very, very quickly. Um, you know, Carmen Majinski only goes four and a third on Friday, did not have his best stuff. Only gave up three runs, but did not have his best stuff at all. Um, you know, Saturday, Dylan Harley, I, I, so I was there on Saturday. Listen, Dylan Harley's got big-time stuff. This is a guy that I think can be a front, you know, a, a Friday night starter in the SEC, is a guy that can be, you know, a front-of-the-line, top-of-the-rotation type guy, but you have to be able to fill the strikes on. I think Dylan Harley had five walks and two-plus innings. Just a guy that, again, these guys are all going to get better. I thought Reed Morgan was fantastic on Sunday for South Carolina. He gave them exactly what he wanted. That bullpen was taxed going to Sunday because of the short starts. On Friday and Saturday, I thought Reed Morgan did a fantastic job really locating his pitches. He's got a ton of sink, a ton of movement on his pitches, um, and really made it a long day for those Liberty hitters. Um, And then you talk about tonight's game, I mean, the Winther game. T.J. Shook, 
Um, a guy that I feel really, really good about. I really like TJ Shook and what he brings to the table. He starts the game off against Winthrop with a walk, gives up three runs in the first inning, um, only goes one-plus inning in the game. I mean, South Carolina is going to have to figure it out with the pitching staff. And I think I tweeted this over the weekend, South Carolina's pitching staff, and I'm sure – I know they know this. That they will never be elite, though, until they figure out a way to just cut out the walks and fill the strike zone. I mean, that's the biggest thing because – this baseball team and this pitching staff has really, really good stuff. I mean, you take a look at the numbers. This pitching staff through four games has 49 strikeouts. I mean, you don't have that many strikeouts through four games if your staff doesn't have really, really good stuff. I mean, there's just there's just there's just no there's just no way that's possible. Um, you know, on the flip side of that. The pitching staff also has 15 walks. Um, and those numbers really sound much, much better than they really are because the walks have been all issued by the starters. Now, the bullpen has been fantastic for South Carolina. They had another great outing tonight. Uh, I think they only gave up one run or so, but had a fantastic outing. But it's really been the starting rotation for South Carolina. Again, I, I, I know they're going to get better. Um, you think maybe they're a little bit rusty. but I, I just South Carolina's got to get it going on the mound because these guys, they've got some guys that can swing it. I mean, you take a look, TJ Hopkins has been the guy that we all hoped he would be if healthy. He's been that guy. He's hitting 438 right now. Again, we've only played four games, but TJ Hopkins has been as good as anybody. Two homers, five ribbies. Jacob Olson with a two home run game on Saturday has been fantastic. Some of your newer guys, Nick Neville has really impressed me. He's really a ball player. Um, Andrew Eister, Luke Berryhill are guys that are starting to kind of figure it out and really find their swing, find their group, find their groove. Uh, even Noah Campbell, as bad as he started, five, five strikeouts on opening day, uh, six strikeouts in opening week, and only had one hit. He had a couple of base knocks, had two base knocks tonight. Um, so he's a guy. I mean, once he gets rolling, I mean, the top of the South Carolina lineup is going to be absolutely disgusting. And but again, you've got some capable guys in your lineup. Again, some of they're they're. A lot of new faces, but they're guys that can all really swing the bat. A lot of big guys, a lot of power. This pitching staff, though, in my opinion, has got to step up. And, again, it's very, very early. It's much much too early to draw any conclusions or to react or overreact one way or the other, positively or negatively. But I'm just making a statement that South Carolina's got to find its groove on the mound. Because they do. They can be a very, very dangerous team, in my opinion. And, again, it's not a lack of talent. It's not a lack of guys that have good stuff. It's not a lack of guys that have the ability it's simply just locking in and filling the zone. And, and I think it's got to start with your guy, Carmen Majinski, on Friday. I, I think, you know, South Carolina takes on Presbyterian. Um, I've, I'll say tomorrow, obviously, we're, again, we're recording this Tuesday night. If you're listening to this, it's probably Wednesday. Take on Presbyterian on Wednesday, um, <clears throat> which looks like a game that's probably going to get rained out. Um, so you look ahead to the weekend series, I mean, it's Utah Valley, which is a team, I'll be honest, uh, I'll do more research on. We do the Daily Crow on Thursday, kind of give a breakdown of the weekend series. But – you know, it's just simply a series where you really need a good quality start from Carmen Majinski. Your bullpen has already done so much work for you. They've already thrown so many innings. It, you know, it'd be nice to on Friday kind of get six, seven really good innings out of, out of Carmen Majinski and, you know, save that bullpen a little bit going into the weekend. Um, I, I will say kudos to the South Carolina baseball team for show, showing a lot of toughness, a lot of fight, a lot of resiliency, a lot of win anyway attitude by getting the huge win over Winthrop. I, I know, again, it's one of those situations where win or lose, it's not going to define your season. I, I don't think you should, you know, draw some extreme conclusion one way or the other. But South Carolina, 
you know, down six nothing in the third inning, finding a way to first off buckle down on the on the mound. Um, finding a way to buckle down on the mound, you know, throw a lot of good innings, quality innings, keep your ball club in the game. And then South Carolina's offense obviously coming through. But South Carolina's a team just being able to battle back on what a night that you you easily could have just kind of folded shop. It's freezing cold out. It's a midweek game against Winthrop. Who really cares? But South Carolina, again, able to battle, able to scratch and claw and fight and come out with an 8-6 win. I think it really summarizes – what this team is kind of going to be about this year, at least until they find themselves, unless they, at least until they figure themselves out. This is a team that, listen, they've got as many question marks as anybody in the country. I mean, you're talking about a team with so many new faces. Um, but I think the one thing that can't be questioned about Mark Kingston's ball club is that this is a team that is going to battle day in, day out, game in, game out. I don't think this is a team that's ever going to fold up and quit um, and I definitely – they showed that against Winter. It's going to be a lot of fun, obviously, following up. We've got a couple – actually, excuse me, we've got this weekend's uh, non-conference series, and the next weekend, obviously, you take on the Clemson Tigers, which is one that I know everyone will be paying attention to. Um, so it should be very interesting. But the, the pitching staff has got to get figured out quickly, in my opinion. Your starters, you know, the, the whole opener strategy was something that was fun to talk about in the offseason. I, I just – I've never been one to buy into it. I'm more of a traditional. Listen, you have your guys that you can depend on, that you hand the baseball to, that are going to give you a good outing and going to put it, put you in a position to win the baseball game. And, and I think that that's what Mark Kingston and Skyler Mee want to do as well. And, listen, I think, again, they've got the guys. I think Carmen Majinski's got as good a stuff as anybody in the SEC. I think Dylan Harley's stuff is electric. I mean, I think his stuff is very big time. I mean, you're 94-95 on the left side. His stuff is very, very, very good. Um, Again, it's just all about filling the strike zone. It is just all about South Carolina's pitchers filling the strike zone, being confident, attacking hitters, and, and let your stuff work for you. I, I said it after the opening weekend. These guys are all going to get better. This team is going to get better. But those pitchers are all going to get better. They're all going to kind of get in their groove. If you want to attribute to being their first start of the year, so be it. I, I think they're all going to get better. But, again, I think it needs to happen in a hurry because the last thing you want to have happen is you go into next weekend, not this coming weekend, the next weekend against Clemson with a bunch of different questions about, well, are we even going to be able to get five innings out of our starters? What are we going to do? Are we going to have to throw Johnny Holstaff? I mean, how, how are we going to attack this? So, But, again, I, I think South Carolina's guys, especially on the mound, are going to come around. I think we'll see a much, much sharper uh, pitching performance from those guys this weekend coming up against Utah Valley. Um, let's get into some football news and notes because there are definitely some things that happened actually right after we dropped our podcast last week, starting with Josh Belk. Uh, Josh Belk has quit football and quit the team due to, we didn't know at the time, had a fractured vertebrae is what he, uh, is what he has said. Listen, I mean, I, I know there were a lot of hot takes when this first came out and there were stuff about him apparently wanting to be a truck driver. Again, I don't know if that's true or not. If it is, it doesn't really matter. Um, but you know, I mean, honestly, my only comments is just, you know, it's a shame. I mean, it's definitely a shame, a guy that, a guy that, listen, I think has bigger – and I don't want to get too, too deep into it or guess too much because, again, this is a guy's life and we, we don't have all the answers. But just from the way things went, a guy that went to Clemson, kind of left midway through, you know, went to South Carolina. This seems like a guy to me that has bigger issues than an injury. And, and maybe he doesn't. May, maybe I'm looking too deep into it. But from things I've heard, from talking to different sources and – just kind of analyzing the situation. I mean, this seems like a guy to me that maybe has some bigger issues than than we know about. And 
you know, if that's the case, that's a shame because, listen, the type of talent that a guy like Josh Belk has, it's not something that everyone gets. I mean, it's not something that, you know, comes around often. I mean, there were definitely people thinking that he could be a big-time contributor at South Carolina, and obviously farther than that, he could have a, you know, a career playing football on Sundays in the NFL. And, I mean, to think that that's not going to be realized is it's always a shame when that happens. So, we obviously wish Josh Belk nothing but the best. I mean, I, you know, that in this situation, that's really all you can do for the kid. And, um, you know, continue to pray for him. And, like I said, wish him nothing but the best. But just a shame, obviously. I, I don't think it really, you know, looking at it from the football side of things, looking from it, you know, selfishly at the South Carolina side of things, I don't think it kills the Gamecocks just because of the timing of it. You know, you kind of figure this out before before spring practice gets going, before the fall, before you really incorporate him into any of your game plans. I think South Carolina, maybe the one place they could afford to lose a guy was the defensive tackle position uh, with all these guys they have coming in in their defensive line recruiting class. And, and listen, it always, to me, maybe this is just me personally, it always kind of felt like a weird fit with Josh Belt. Like, is he really going to get in shape? I think he was always a guy that you sort of took a chance on. And if he, he was a wild card. You know, if he worked out, great. You know, that we, we got to steal. But if he didn't, it's not like you were putting all your, your chips in his, in his play. You know what I mean? It just – it doesn't feel like Josh Belk was a guy that you, you're going to – you're really, you're really really counting on. I, I don't know if that makes sense. But overall, wish him nothing but the best. Obviously, it's a shame. Wish he could be a Gamecock and finish out his career. But, you know, obviously, the, the fractured vertebrae thing is nothing to play with. And, again, you just have to hope that he can uh, – you know, he can find whatever he's looking for. Um, other piece of news, you know, pertaining to Carolina football and basketball, Evan Henson deciding to quit basketball to focus on football. Listen, I think it's the best decision for him. Uh, we talked about this before. You know, I, I know I've talked about it before off air to other people. You know, I always thought that Evan Henson, you know, it's awesome to be a two-sport athlete, to be a two-sport athlete in SEC school. I mean, I have to imagine that's pretty awesome. But I think a guy like Evan Henson, I mean, guy with his athletic ability – you know, if you're ever wanting to make a true splash, especially at the professional level, but even the collegiate level, I mean, make a true splash in the sense that you're playing meaningful minutes and you're you're a, you're a guy, you're a dude. Uh, I think you really do need to focus on one. I mean, it was it was obvious to the parent. Listen, he's not Bruce Ellington. He's not a guy that's going to play both and do well at both. I mean, he was a guy that was getting very, very, very limited minutes with the South Carolina men's basketball team, and I think it's smart of him especially with some of the departures from the Gamecocks tight ends for him to focus on football. I think there's a real, real legitimate chance that Evan Henson sees the field next season. Uh, I think there's a real legitimate chance that, you know, I think, I don't think he's going to beat out Kill Pollard. I don't think he's going to probably even beat out Kyle Markway, but if he can be the Gamecocks number three option at tight end, listen, we saw Kyle Markway play a season ago. I definitely think that Evan Henson can find his way onto the field, get some reps, maybe even make a big impact. Um, so, you know, I think it's the best decision. Again, you don't want to try to put words in a kid's mouth and, you know, say that they should have done one thing or the other. But I think Evan Henson definitely made the best decision in deciding to just focus on football. Um, other news and notes, Carolina announcing their spring practice dates. You know, you take a look. Nothing too crazy that I say would really stand out. Obviously, Gamecocks Pro Day, um, which I'm getting pulled up here, is actually going to be on – I believe March 21st, if I have that correct. Let's see. Yeah, March 21st, the team's indoor facility obviously will be pro day. We've already talked about the Gamecocks spring game, which was announced for April 6th, uh, which will be aired on SEC Network at noon. So nothing really crazy other than that to get into on that. 
Um, first spring practice, though, February 27th. So literally around the corner, um, <clears throat> Gamecocks will get spring ball kicked off, and we'll obviously have full coverage on that. I know everybody wants to talk some football, so we will have full coverage, obviously, on spring practice as well. All right, let's get into some listener questions before we get into the Pat DeMarco interview. Um, pull those up really quickly. Let's see here. Okay, so we've got your listener questions here. I apologize. I posted the link a little bit late today. Really do apologize on that again. So not as many questions as normal, uh, but I definitely want to get to these as well. So we'll go ahead and start. College Football Legacy asks, are people overlooking Joyner since we landed Helensky? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I think that this is going to be a huge spring. I've talked about it before for to carry on Joyner. I think this is a spring where he's a guy that really, really needs to really needs to ball out this spring if he has any opportunity, if he's not going to transfer. I think he's a guy that, you know, everybody's had a lot of hopes for. He's a guy that can do both. He can run the football and pass. I think, obviously, his arm and his passing ability is the biggest thing he needs to improve on. Uh, because I think, you know, it'd be silly not to think Ryan Helensky has a huge edge over him right now in that regard. But, you know, listen, again, DeCaron Joyner is a guy that I think is very dynamic. I think a guy that could certainly, um, you know, push for that number two spot for that backup quarterback role. But, I mean, if you had to, you know, gun to head right now, if I had to guess who's going to be the number two quarterback, Ryan Helensky or DeCaron Joyner, I mean, I'm taking Ryan Helensky. I think just simply because – in 2019, you cannot win in college football if you cannot throw the football. Um, I haven't seen anything – you know, granted, I haven't seen anything to say that he can't throw the football, but I haven't seen anything to say that he can't. And I know that was his – you know, that was sort of his – I don't want to say weakness, but his biggest area of opportunity coming out of high school was, you know, getting better at passing the football. And, you know, I think if he can show that, I think if he can show that in spring ball – you know, I certainly think that he can be in the number two guy or even be the guy in 2020. I mean, I'm not saying he can't be the guy. I don't want to discount the carry on Joyner, but I, I just have a sneaking suspicion that Ryan Holinsky is going to come in and listen, he was a highly touted blue chip recruit out of California for a reason. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I know fans, I know everyone will be tuned into that quarterback battle. I, I'm very, very intrigued to see uh, how that will go. Um, Real Josh will 90. Could Ryan Holinsky start over Jake Bentley? Um, I don't think there's any way that happens. I think Jake Bentley, without a doubt, is your starting quarterback against North Carolina and Bank of America Stadium when the season kicks off. Uh, will he be the starter all season? I, I really don't know. It really depends on what Jake Bentley we get as a senior. Uh, obviously, a guy like Jake Bentley is going to want to come out, ball out, have a his senior year be his best season. But who knows? I mean, I, I think that if Jake Bentley goes into a cold spell like he went to into in 2018. Uh, you think of the Kentucky games, some other games. I mean, will we see – how much of Ryan Holinsky will we see? Um, I think that's a very solid question. I think it's a good question. I think it's something that, you know, we'll, we'll – um, I think we'll only find out through – if it happens. I mean, I really I, – I just – I don't know what the leash is going to be like. Again, it's your senior quarterback versus replacing him with a true freshman. We've seen it done before. You obviously think of Clemson this past season, and it worked out pretty well for him. So – you know, I, I don't know if Will Muschamp will be willing to pull that trigger, but I, as far as to start the season, I don't think there's any chance that Ryan Holinsky is going to beat out Jake Bentley for the starting quarterback job. Not a chance. Um, Jay Cummins, seven. Biggest problem from last year that will be a big focus throughout the spring. Well, I would say getting people healthy. I think that should definitely be a focus. Um, God, if I had to point one out, though, I mean, the biggest area that I think South Carolina needs to focus on 
man, that, that's tough. I mean, probably getting the foot just, – just turnovers. I mean, getting the football off of opposing offenses. I know that was something that South Carolina was so good at in 2017 and really that kind of disappeared um, in 2018. Again, we talked to, to uh, you know, different people that, you know, turnovers are partially luck, if you will, being right place, right time and stuff like that. But South Carolina was much, much worse in 2018. They've got to find a way to get back on the plus side of that, at least um, – closer to what they were in 2017 I think that'll obviously be a huge focus I think you know can I hate you know it's crazy to say it about a senior quarterback but continuing Jake Bentley's development making sure he's getting what he needs make sure he's getting better and I think South Carolina again listen spring ball I think is more so just focus on the fundamentals you know listen I don't know how much an installation they do in the spring if any I but I think it'll be a good time to focus on the fundamentals get your young guys in there kind of find out which youngsters which young guys have ability to really make a big impact for you in the fall. I think that's going to be a huge, huge priority for the staff as well. Um, Daniel 21699, think Jamie Robinson will be doing returns this year? Um, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I mean, I know that – I know they had Brian Edwards returning punts last year. I, I'm not a fan of that. I, I, I'm not – I'm not a fan of that. I, I don't want to see Brian Edwards back there returning punts anymore. I just – it doesn't seem right. I, you know, there has to be, in my opinion, a more dynamic guy that can take it to the house if you're South Carolina. Um, you know, I think they're going to have a lot of different options. I think Josh Van will be a very serious option. I think Shai Smith's an option. Um, I, I'd, lo- I'd love to see Jamias Williams. I, I really, really would love to see Jamias Williams in some way, shape, or form, get into the return game. We obviously saw what he could do in high school. He's a guy that's super dynamic with the football in his hands. They haven't seemed to have been open to that. Um, I would love to see that, but I'm sure Jamie will be in the conversation. I mean, I think South Carolina, that's going to be a big position battle, you know, especially kickoff return. I mean, that's going to be a huge position battle for South Carolina. And, I mean, you know, you can ask the Gamecocks just how important special teams is and how big of an impact it can have on a football game. Um, so I think it'll be very important to try to find kind of maybe not the next Debo Samuel, if we will, but find the next guy that can make some big plays for you in the return game. Um, by Brantley Strickland, since we got after this topic on Twitter, under what scenario could Ray Tanner be fired? Um, yes, we did sort of touch on this topic on Twitter. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, you know, there were a ton of people sort of talking about Ray Tanner and what it would take to get him fired. I believe this may have been after the Friday night baseball losses. As you can imagine, of course, social media, you know, handled that with, with perfect rationale. Nobody freaked out. Nobody, uh, nobody overreacted. Um, <clears throat> you know, to me, listen, it, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting conversation. I mean, I, look, there's a new president coming into South Carolina. So I don't think it's going to be a situation where we really have to say, well, what's got to happen for rates. You know, listen, I, I think as long as the athletics department is making money and as long as the programs, the South Carolina programs, are on a positive upward trajectory, I mean, what reason do you have to fire Ray Tanner? I mean, what is Ray Tanner doing? I think it's so silly when people say, you know, well, South Carolina lost this game. He should be fired. He's not the coach. I mean, Ray Tanner's not the coach. And listen, I know South Carolina fans want to beat Clemson. I I want to see South Carolina beat Clemson as much as anybody. But, you know – Ray Tanner's not going to get fired for someone losing to Clemson. I mean, you look at, again, all three programs. Obviously, look at what men's basketball is doing. They're certainly on a upward trajectory. I mean, again, it's I partially can't believe I'm saying that, but, I mean, after what they've done in conference play, they are certainly on a great trajectory. Frank Martin's got that program on the right track. You look at 
Mark Kingston, I think he's I think he's definitely the right man for the job. I really, really like Coach Kingston, what he's done with the baseball program. I mean, you're a game away from Omaha in your first season. Um, you know, off to a good start in 2019. Obviously, this season's got a ton to play out. But I think the baseball program is on the right track to getting back to what it was, you know, in the heyday of 2010 to uh, 2012, you know, getting back to Omaha on a consistent basis. And then you take a look at football. I mean, listen – Listen, the 2019 season hasn't happened yet. So I think for people to say, I think, I'm not sure who it was. I'm not sure if it was you, Brantley Strickland, or if it was somebody else, but someone in my mentions basically saying, well, you have a football team that's going to be, you know, a five or six win team this year. You, you can't fire someone over a hypothetical situation that hasn't happened yet. I mean, that's you assuming. And what if South Carolina goes out there? Listen, I know you don't think it'll happen. What if South Carolina goes out there and goes nine and three? I mean, what if they do? I, so, you take a look at what Will Muschamp has done. He has more, you know, I know people, maybe some people don't like to hear this stat, but Will Muschamp has more wins in his first three seasons than Steve Spurrier. How can you realistically say that the Gamecocks football program, and I know there's been some bad losses along the way, and I know you can say, well, they haven't beaten anyone, but how can you realistically say that the Gamecocks football program is not on a positive trajectory? I mean, you just built a brand new a brand new football operations facility that's absolutely fantastic. You just had a game-changing, in my opinion, game-changing recruiting class come in that, you know, features some of the best players that we've seen around South Carolina in a while. I mean, you think of the Holinskys, the Smiths, the the Pickens, the Andersons, the, you know, all you know, all those guys. I, I mean, you, you think of those guys, you think of the Jamie Robinsons, the John Dixons, you, you think of those guys, the type of talent they're bringing in. I don't see how you can say that the South Carolina football program is not on a positive trajectory. So at that point, I'll ask you, what is Ray Tanner not doing that wants you to have – that wants that makes you want to have him fired? I mean, I, listen, if you're upset about losing to Clemson, I completely understand. South Carolina, which is why I think next weekend – and we're going to have a huge show. We have a huge announcement coming a little bit later this week. That, that That's why next weekend is so, so big for South Carolina. That They need to take two or three from Clemson. This whole – Losing to Clemson in every single major men's sport for the past four to five years has got to stop. Somebody's got to stop it. And I think baseball needs to be the one to do it. But, you know, I, I don't think losing to Clemson is, is an excuse to fire your athletic director. I just don't think that's a realistic thing. I mean, you, you know, there was – you know, I, I know South Carolina fans and Clemson fans feel like uh, – or try to act like this was – eons ago but there was a time very recently where South Carolina owned Clemson in pretty much every major sport I mean you think about it South Carolina beat Clemson five in a row in football they beat them twice in Omaha consistently were beating them on the basketball court I mean it was the same thing on the, the shoe was on the other foot and you know you didn't see the Clemson administration crumble you didn't see them you know fire neither really any of their head coaches. I mean I guess Jack Leggett got canned but um you know, I just don't think firing Ray Tanner is the answer. Um, so what would it take? I mean, again, I think it would just take the the programs to be on a negative trajectory. I think, you know, again, the athletic department's making plenty of money. The facilities are improving all over the campus, all, all over the, the administration. So I, I just don't see any scenario right now where Ray Tanner is let go unless the new president simply comes in and says, I want to hire my own athletic director. I think that's a scenario that actually could happen. So we'll see. We'll see. Appreciate the question though. Um, saltwater swag chances of men's basketball making the tourney. If so, what scenario needs to play out? Thanks. 
Appreciate the question. Um, I, you know, I definitely think after the win tonight, I think South Carolina's got a chance to make the tournament. Listen, I'm not a bracketologist. I'm not an expert in this stuff. I'm not Joe Lenardi. Um, but, I mean, I think South Carolina, if they can – certainly if they can win out, they're more than in the conversation. Um, they can win four of the next five games. I think they're definitely in the conversation. Um, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know what it's going to come down to with this team again. I, you know, it's, it's been such a strange year. It's been such a strange year for South Carolina, as bad as they were in non-conference play, and then to do what they're doing in conference play. I think South Carolina at this point, though, is certainly, certainly on the bubble. I, I think without a doubt – South Carolina is certainly on the bubble, and it'll be a lot of fun to watch. I think that the biggest thing, though, if you're a South Carolina fan and you're wondering what must South Carolina do to make the tournament, and you're talking about the dance, and we're not talking about the NIT, we're talking about the dance. What must South Carolina do? Just win. Just just win every time you touch the floor. That That is winning solves all problems, and I think that will solve the problem for South Carolina of how do you get to the tournament. Just win. So. Uh, it should be a lot of fun to watch, obviously. Uh, we do have one voicemail. Let's get this voicemail really quickly. Hey, guys. This is AJ from Allendale, South Carolina. I just got one thing to say real quick. I'm kind of tired of people doubting Jake Belly and, and putting him down and all that, putting him in the dirt. No disrespect to Ryan Holetsky. I'm pretty sure he'll be one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever come to South Carolina. But... Don't don't down Jake for this season. You need to pick him up and hopefully have a great senior season. Thanks, guys. Yeah, appreciate the voicemail, AJ. Listen, I, I mean, I you know, I hundred percent agree with you. Listen, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, especially at least going into the season. I mean, and listen, I was, I feel like I've said it a thousand times. I last season, you probably all know, I was one of the most critical people of Jake Bentley around. I mean, I. I don't know how Bobby Bentley hadn't blocked us on social media yet. I'll be completely honest. But, I mean, you know, I, I think definitely going into this 2019 season, I think it's a little – it's a, it's absurd. It's a little absurd to be calling for Ryan Helensky to be the starting quarterback. I think Jake Bentley as a senior has taken his lumps. I mean, he has – I think he has really earned everything he's got. I think he deserves, obviously, to be the guy on that that first game. And, um you know, but I think that, you know, obviously the best guy I should play. I definitely think the best guy I should play. But when you factor in experience, Jake Bentley, we all know, has the ability. I mean, I, I certainly think that um, – and, and listen, I think South Carolina fans do want to support Jake Bentley. I don't think it's a situation where South Carolina fans have some personal vendetta against Jake Bentley. But obviously they want, they want to see a winner. And I, I, I can't blame South Carolina fans for that because I want to see a winner as well. Um, so, I mean, listen, Jake Bentley – has an opportunity in 2019, in my opinion, to really erase the rest of his career. If he can have a big-time senior season, if he can steal a big win over an Alabama, over a Georgia, especially over a Clemson, he'll be a hero. I think his career will be looked at so differently because, listen, he's going to leave South Carolina as more than likely there's a decent chance he leaves as the all-time wins leader. There's a decent chance he leaves holding many, many, many passing records. Um, and I think that, again, if he can have a big 2019, his career is going to be viewed much, much differently than maybe it would be right now if it was over. Um, so it's a big year for him. And I'm, I'm you know, listen, I'm 100% behind him, but I'm 100% behind whoever steps behind center and wins football games. Um, and I think that's the way South Carolina Nation feels as well. I don't think it's a personal vendetta against Jake Bentley. I think it's simply South Carolina fans want to win football games. And I think you saw – 
you know, some glimpses, maybe what Jake Bentley can be, what he can do. You think of the Clemson game. Um, you think of the Florida game. You think of some of the other offensive explosions South Carolina had. But it's just all about carrying that over into 2019 and kind of being that guy. And I think South Carolina at this point, listen, if fans want to be excited about Ryan Holinsky, I don't think you can blame them. I think South Carolina for the first time in a couple of years, I mean, has a real quarterback competition or at least a guy to push Jake Bentley to be his very best every single day. Uh, so I think competition is only a good thing. And, again, you have to hope it will bring the best out of Jake Bentley in his senior season in 2019. Um, other than that, again, that's pretty much going to do it. I, I just have to reiterate, men's basketball, the Gamecocks, just uh, speechless. It's just crazy what Frank Martin and his squad have done. I mean, just tip of the cap to those guys. Did not expect them to beat down Ole Miss the way they did. Just a crazy, crazy, crazy game. Um, but, yeah, other than that, we like I said, we have a fantastic interview. Just a great conversation. Former Gamecocks fullback, um, pro bowler, all pro, current Buffalo Bill, Patrick DeMarco. Um, legendary conversation. The interview is brought to you by our friends over at MyBookie. Obviously, I lost my best bet. We fell to 7-4-1. and one. Um, But, again, we're still 7-4-1. Really, really good record. If you want to bet with me with my best bet, if you want to gamble on anything else, there's a ton going on, obviously, NHL, NBA, college basketball. Um, you can bet on politics. You can literally bet on anything. Go to mybookie.ag. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to get a 50% deposit bonus. So, for example, uh, if you wanted to use uh, gamble on my best bet, if you wanted to gamble on the AAF, maybe an NBA game, let's say you want to put 500 on it. If you go to mybookie.ag, create your new account using the promo code SPURSUP, and you put in 500 bucks, they're going to give you they're just going to give you an additional 250 to play with. I don't know how that's a good business model. I don't know how they're making any money on that because any of my followers that use my best bets, we're winning money. We're robbing my bookie right now. That's, that's for sure. We are robbing my bookie right now, and I'm hoping it continues. Um, so, again, our friends over at MyBookie, they're the best online gambling site by far. Payouts are very, very simple. They're also very responsive on social media. So if you have any questions, concerns, you need anything from them, you can simply uh, shoot them a tweet, send them a DM, and they will get back to you literally within minutes. They're the best online gambling site by far. I cannot stress anymore. And they're the absolutely only gambling site I would re refer to you guys, to my followers, uh, to our listeners, to people that use the best bet for sure that have been making money all season long with my picks. Again, it's mybookie.ag. Use that promo code Spurs up to get your 50% deposit bonus today. All right, appreciate you guys tuning in. Enjoy this interview with Pat DeMarco. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for the Gamecocks uh, from 2007 to 2010, also going into his ninth season in the NFL, uh, currently with the Buffalo Bills. I want to welcome onto the show Patrick tomorrow. Pa Patrick, appreciate you taking the time, and it's a pleasure to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and go back, Patrick, to your uh, your college career. Obviously, you're a guy from Florida, played down in Lake Brantley. Um how did you end up at South Carolina? And I want to ask, did the Spurrier connection have anything to do with you going to South Carolina? Yeah, the Spurrier connection uh, was huge and kind of vital in, uh, in the whole recruiting process. I was, I think I was a two-star coming out. I wasn't very, uh, I wasn't a hot commodity, I would say. Um, but I, I had, um, you know, a bunch of Division One AA offers and I had some local uh, small Division One Florida schools uh, FAU, FIU, uh, USF, UCF, um, 
type schools that were looking at me. But um, yeah, I guess the, the connection with uh, my uncle Chris, uh, the professional golfer, knew Steve Spurrier really well, and kind of that was the relationship and how it started. And I went up and I did a few camps with uh, John Hunt, was the regional uh, recruiting guy in Orlando, who was the offensive line coach when I was there, and then uh, actually. I was recruited as like an outside linebacker defensive end coming out of high school. So I was with Tyrone Nix, who was the linebackers coach and defensive coordinator when I got there. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of how it started. And, um, you know, I just, you know, I wanted to play big ball. Um, and, um, you know, what, what what's bigger than playing the SEC? And for an offensive-minded coach like Coach Spurrier, it was, uh, you know, I ended up being a great kid and, you know, I wouldn't have changed anything. No doubt. Yeah, I was going to ask you about your your uncle, Chris DeMarco. I imagine, obviously, he had a very successful career uh, on the PGA Tour. Are you, are you much of a golfer yourself? Did he pass down any of those uh, those golf genes to you, or did he hog all, all of those to himself? Uh, he's passed me down clubs, but he, <laughs> he, um, he, he doesn't really like playing with me much because I hit the ball uh, 50 yards past him, but he, uh, he makes birdie <laughs> and I make bogey. That's kind of the way it goes, but um, you know, I've, I've since being in the NFL and having an off season, um, I've actually picked up golf a lot more. I actually got my handicap down to like a three or a four right now. So uh, I, I can move the ball around pretty good. I'm not much of a putter. I would say I'm a ball striker. I hit the ball like I'm a scratch golfer and I putt like I'm a seven or eight handicap. So I need to get out there and putt some more. Yeah, that, I think that speaks for all of us for sure. Um, so <laughs> you, you come into South Carolina, mainly used – um, on special teams your first couple of years, although your freshman season, you, d- you did have a touchdown catch against Kentucky, your first first career mm-hmm. college touchdown. Um, talk about kind of what was the plan for you when you got to South Carolina? How did how did Steve Spurrier and that offense plan uh, to utilize you? Did they plan always on having you as a fullback, H-back type player? Or, you know, how did they see you? What was your role in that offense when you first got to South Carolina? Yeah, uh, a really good question because it was uh, it was pretty strange my first few months on campus. Um, you know, I came in as a two-star prospect. I think I was probably the lowest-rated guy that that signed in that class, and uh, you know, I was kind of a, a man on a mission to prove people wrong. So uh, I came in uh, probably in the best shape of my life. I think I was 218 pounds, I'm close to 220 pounds. Um, and you know, they got me up to 232 or 233 by the time camp started. So in like two or three months, they put almost 15 pounds on me. Um, and they slotted me to play fullback H back kind of right off the bat. Um, so, uh, uh, Leonard Stafford was actually the starting fullback at the time, double stack. Um, and he kind of took me under his wing and groomed me. I was more of the receiving fullback. He was more of the kind of the pounding fullback, the downhill lead blocker. And, um, and then that's how it started. But during camp, um, my freshman year, obviously we had Eric Norwood, who was a freshman All-American, um, an incredible player, but we didn't have anywhere to back him up. And I had some experience playing defense and defensive end outside linebacker in high school. Uh, it was really what I did. I didn't play much offense fullback. So Coach uh, Burrier actually, like two weeks into camp, Said Pat, go play some defense. Let's let's get you groomed up there too, just in case anything happens with Norwood. Um, you know, you could be a good fallback plan for us. So I spent uh, probably a week and a half, two weeks uh, during that training camp, strictly playing defense, and then double stack. I think rolled his ankle uh, in in one of our scrimmages, and immediately he grabbed me and put me right back on offense. So 
um, I got a little, got a taste of both sides of the ball for, for a little bit during uh, my freshman camp, but ended up uh, filling the spot on, uh, on offense and playing fullback most, uh, most of my career, played a little bit of tight end. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was cool. Special teams was, was definitely a huge role in me getting on the field. I personally, I thought I was going to redshirt getting there or, or even gray shirt being such a, um, you know, being a two-star prospect and not having, um, you know, too much being a, a heralded, um, prospect. So I, um, you know, I just went there and I grinded kind of same, same way I did in the NFL and I'm, I'm still here. Absolutely. So I, I gotta ask Leonard Stafford, um, what's the story behind the nickname double stack? Cause I know you've referenced him a couple of times that nickname. What's the, what's the story behind that? Oh, uh, we called him double stack because he was like five foot six and 265 pounds. He looked like just a double stack of cheeseburgers just sitting right there. I mean, he was as wide as he was tall and he, he was a bruiser. He was, he was definitely a heck of a player to learn from. He was probably one of the best blocking fullbacks I've ever been around. Yeah, definitely. A smart guy too. I think I remember, I think I remember seeing him. He was like majoring in engineering or something, had like a three, eight GPA. I, I don't know. Maybe I, imagine that i think i saw no, that spot, spot on yeah yeah, yeah he, think... he was a super sharp dude and it was you know as a, as a freshman in the sec it was great to be in a room with him and kind of learn behind him and, and guys like Corey boyd and mike davis and you know me and uh brian maddox from the same class so we we had a lot of talent in that room absolutely so you mentioned steve spurrier obviously your hall of fame head coach uh in the aaf now doing big things but talk about your relationship with steve spurrier because i imagine that you know, as your role in the offense became uh, became bigger and you got to touch the football more and become more involved in the offense, I'm sure that relationship sort of evolved as well. Um, talk about overall that relationship with Steve Spurrier when you're playing and also, I mean, to this day. Yeah, uh, yeah, so Coach, I mean, he's an offensive genius, as everybody knows. I was reading somewhere on Twitter the other day that the first first play of this AAF game he drew up a bomb and tried to score on the very first play and it did not surprise me one bit. <laughs> um, yeah, he's, you know, being in the offensive room with him I and mean, he called plays, he did kind of just about everything when it came to the offensive side of the ball. Um, so from, from a coaching standpoint, it was, it was the best case scenario for a guy who wanted to play on the offensive side of the ball to learn and be groomed under a guy like that. Um, personally, he's, you know, coach Spurrier, is a, is a super nice dude. He's, you know, he's as genuine as they come. He doesn't have that much of a filter. I'm sure as you know, when it comes to saying stuff off the top of his, what, what, what pops in his head, he generally says, that's why he gets in trouble with the media some. And he's just like that with the guys, but it's, uh, it's no harm, no foul. Um, but uh, now I, I talk to coach probably twice a year. Um, he generally shoots me a, a text right after, uh, right after, for training camp and just says you know congrats on making the team again so proud of you this and that and um you know the last time I saw him in person was she was probably four or five years ago at my wedding uh so coach and Jerry came to my wedding um down at Reynolds Plantation and I remember I was leaving the pool uh coming up to go shower to get ready uh and they were just checking in at the hotel and I bumped into him and I was said hey coach how's everything going how you doing he's like it's like I'm good Pat he's like you're not getting cold feet or anything are you <laughs> T- typical Spurrier moment or like two hours before my wedding um so yeah I mean I, I still have a good relationship with the coach and 
and I actually have a buddy who is on staff down there with the AAF in Orlando. Um, so I'll need to go down there this off season and, and, and catch up with them. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like, thanks, Coach, for the vote of confidence two hours before I get married. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, obviously, again, you played from 2007 to 2010. Your last two seasons, you played with a quarterback by the name of Steven Garcia, a good friend of this show, repeat guest on this show. Um, and I thought it was interesting that when Steven sort of took over, you know, makes sense, but your junior and senior seasons is when your stats really started to – uh, go up and we know that your production went up talk about your relationship mm-hmm. with Steven Garcia because we've had others on the show before even Eric Norwood like you mentioned that I, you could always tell the players really rallied around Steven Garcia and he really brought a spark to the South Carolina team that I just don't think any other any other quarterback on the roster brought but just talk about your overall uh, overall relationship with Steven Garcia yeah I mean Steven was roommate uh, he was my roommate for three to four years we were on campus uh, the only reason he wasn't my roommate for one of those years is because he got kicked off campus. Um, so, yeah, me and Steve have a great, uh, great relationship. And, um, you know, I think the best way to kind of summarize him, his careers, he's just a warrior. Um, you know, he kind of has that mentality when he straps it on, like there, there, there's no doubt about it. He's going to put his life on the line. He's going to go out there and do everything he can to win a football game. And, I think that's why he had so much success on the field. Um, I mean, I remember plays where, where he's hurling guys on, on third and seven. He's scrambling around. He's jumping over DBs. He ran over Will Hill on the one-yard line and, and powered him in the end zone uh, against Florida to send us to the SEC uh, championship game and win the East. I mean, he's just um, he, he's just tough, man, and he's one of the most competitive guys um, I've ever met. When it comes to playing video games or it comes to – uh, shooting jump shots at the, at the rec gym, or if it comes to, you know, chugging beers like he's pretty good at, he's competitive at everything, <laughs> and he's and he gets after it. No doubt. So I feel like every year you were at South Carolina, Pat. You know, you guys got better and better, which eventually led up to the 2010 SEC East title. I want to ask you, um, you know, you played with some obviously some awesome players, you know, throughout your career, and I think 2010 was the culmination of you guys had a guy on campus. Marcus Lattimore. Um, what was life like blocking for Marcus Lattimore being in front of him? It was easy. Life was very easy blocking for a guy like that. He he made me look really good. I'm, and I miss him a lot. I saw him uh, probably two years ago when I was at a wedding down in Charleston. Him and his wife went to breakfast at the same spot we were at. So it was, it was really good to see him and catch up. And uh, I mean, he's doing amazing things down, down there in, in South Carolina and and impacting all the guys on the on the team and and just doing some amazing stuff. I'm so proud of everything that he accomplished. I you know wish to death that he was still playing because he uh, he'd be going to Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl, just given his talent and his ability and just the just the humble person he is. Um, yeah, he made my life easy. He made he really I think put me on the map because because uh, he was just such a good talent. I, he just had he had the nature to be able to see past the first level and I think that was kind of his special trait was was he would he would read the kind of the the line and the movement of the defensive line and how they were stunning and all the games they were doing he would see that but he would be looking at the linebackers and then when he got to the linebackers he would see the linebackers but he'd be looking at the safeties so he always knew kind of how a defense was rotating how a defense was folding how 
how they were fitting on different plays and, you know, to be a freshman and be able to do that. It was, it was, it was really special. Um, I mean, a heck of a player, man. I, if he could strap it up, I, I know he still would and he'd be darn good. No doubt. So 2009, 2010, again, your junior and senior seasons, uh, you guys were able to defeat the Clemson Tigers, which started a five straight uh, series wins in that series, five straight wins for South Carolina. Um, talk about just what you remember from that rivalry. What do you, what do you still uh, take away from that rivalry, and what are your best memories from it? Uh, you know, besides williams Vice, that's my favorite stadium to play in. Uh, you know, I've, I've played two games in there, and I scored two touchdowns. So, uh, it's, I mean, I have the best odds of going in there and scoring touchdowns. So, uh, that's one of my favorite places to play. Um, yeah, um, you know, I, we, we lost to him my freshman year on – uh, oh, we missed a field. We, yeah, we yeah. missed a field goal at the very end of the game to mm-hmm. make us miss a bowl game too, which was pretty unfortunate. Um, and then my sophomore year, we kind of got blown out. It was a bad weather game, and I think Garcia and Smelly both got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a tough one. But then, yeah, we we were tired of losing those guys. So I think it was more of a more of a statement thing and and just an attitude that saying, hey, this is going to be our state. We're going to run this thing and. uh you know, those last two years we went in and we dominated. I remember we um we got in our like wildcat package, uh, and for a good bit of the game my junior year and we just I mean, I think the opening drives we we got what got in the entire drive and we drove down and just ran it right down their throats and that's when we knew, you know, we were gonna beat them pretty good. Um and then my senior year was the was the game when we beat them um up there. And I would think Antonio Allen picked off a pass. Yeah. And that was Cliff a Matthews had a few sacks. Yeah, we beat him pretty good. That Alshon had a big touchdown catch. Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing like going to your rival school and, and you know, and beating them on their own turf. And, uh, you know, South Carolina needs to, needs to get their number back and, and compete against uh, Clemson a little better here the next few years. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you know, you can definitely argue that it's a talent issue, but you made a great point, Pat, that I want to ask you about from the player's perspective. And I think, you know, any player that was on those teams with you could answer. But I want to ask you, how much do you think the rivalry is mental even more than it is physical or guys on the field? Because this rivalry obviously has been very streaky. I mean, South Carolina wins five in a row, Clemson wins five in a row. But I feel like it's almost more of, like you said, you guys made a decision that, hey, we're tired of losing these guys. We're going to put our foot down. And this rivalry comes off as very mental to me, and it's something that can really either work to your advantage or kind of tear you apart. What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it can kind of go either way. It's, you know, it's it's the 12th game of the year, and, and you're playing a grueling schedule, and then it's rivalry week, and, you know, and then honestly it's the biggest game of the year. Um, so it's definitely a mindset, you know, when you get later in the year, your body gets beat up, you're tired, you're, you know, if you're having a good season, then, you know, you're definitely rolling on highs, but if you're not having a good season, it's kind of like, oh man, we got one more game and then, and then we're onto a bowl game or this or that. So, I mean, personally, when it comes to a rivalry game, a division game, an SEC game, like you kind of have to treat them all the same. I mean, the next game is the most important game. Um but there always is the extra hype and the extra buzz when it comes to rivalry games. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's a person by person thing, but I mean, personally, like if if you get a chance to, to beat your rival and it's your state for that for 365 days, I mean, 
there's nothing better than going out there and beating a team that's been talking trash all year. No doubt. So 2010, your senior season, like I've said before, you're most productive. You actually had three receiving touchdowns, rushed for 147 yards. Going into that season, um, were they planning on using you more so as a pass-catching fullback, or um, did that just kind of happen by just, just sort of how the games went? Or what was the uh, kind of the story behind that? Well, actually, what happened, uh, I don't know if you remember, but Wesley Saunders got in trouble for messing around with agents down in Miami. Yeah, um, so that, he yeah. actually get, he got suspended that year, and I think that was in the spring. Um, yeah, and Coach Berger came up to me right before spring ball and was like, uh, he used to call me D-Mark. So he's like, hey, D-Mark, uh, you're a pretty smart guy. What do you, what do you think about uh, maybe playing some tight end for us this year now that Wesley's gone? <laughs> I was like, Whatever you need, coach. Like I'll do whatever, whatever you got for me. So, I actually my senior year I played um, in two tight end sets. I played the F tight end, which is more of like the H back, and one back sets. I played the true tight end, so I just played um, Y. And then when we were in two back sets, I played fullback. So I, you know, that year I definitely played the most. I I, I played probably seventy or eighty percent of offensive snaps. Um, and you know, I was out there on third down situations, which I generally wasn't, um, when I was just playing fullback. So yeah, it was, um, it was, yeah, a season where I knew I was going to be utilized more. Uh, you know, I was actually nervous. I, um, my senior year, so I scored a touchdown my freshman, sophomore, junior year. And then my senior year where week 11 in the season were playing, I think it was Troy and I still had scored a touchdown yet and I'm sitting there I'm like my senior year I'm gonna get skunked and I'm not gonna score a touchdown <laughs> this year and I ended up scoring a touchdown the next three games I scored against Troy I scored against Clemson and then I scored in the SEC championship game against uh Auburn so um yeah I mean definitely when you're playing tight end you're on the field on third downs and well not just that when you're on the field for majority of snaps the ball's gonna come your way more and I had a really good relationship with Steven being my roommate and stuff we um we worked on a lot of stuff, um, you know, in the off season, kind of had our timing down well. And, um, yeah, we would study film together and, and do things to kind of go out there and attack defenses. And uh, we had a good uh, – we, we saw eye to eye. Yeah, I was going to say, you could definitely see the timing on I, – I honestly, I think specifically to the 2010 Clemson game, the uh, eye formation – play action you go out in the flat he hits you for the touchdown I feel like that play I'm like that's almost undefendable because it sort of lulls you to sleep you're biting on the run and then you go out there and you know you've got that deceptive speed so I mean to me that play felt undefendable I'll be completely honest with you um well I appreciate the old the old speed uh remark that that's uh <laughs> That's the first time I've heard that in a while. I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. So we can't talk about 2010 without a game that I could argue is the biggest win in the history of South Carolina football, and that is the 2010 Alabama game. Uh, what do you remember oh, yeah. just as a whole from that day? Oh, man, I remember we did like the Gamecock walk, and I remember my parents, my parents only missed two games – uh, my entire career when I was in South Carolina. So they were always there and they were at this game. And uh, I remember on the Gamecock walk, I'm walking in and uh, my grandparents, both sets of grandparents were up for the game. Uh, and I remember giving my mom a hug and, um, 
this was when that that Black Eyed Peas song was big. I got a feeling, mm-hmm. and yep, she yep. like kind of whisp- whispered in my ear right when right when she hugged me. She said, "I got a feeling you you guys are gonna beat these guys this week or today." And you know that that was that's the first thing that I remember about that that entire game. But then after that, um, shoot, with Garcia was twenty one and twenty four. I mean, his stat line was incredible. Um, Alshon had that big one-handed catch. Um, I just remember kind of it being like a we're here and we're here to play. I mean, they, they were untouchable. They had, the quarterback was McElroy and then Mark Ingram and Trent Richardson. I mean, they were stacked. And their defense had Hightower and Courtney Upshaw and just name after name. And I think, you know – Looking back, they have name after name, but I remember like prepping for the game. I was just like, these are just dudes. These are just guys. These are this is an SEC team that's good. We've played against, you know, we played against these guys the year before. Uh, we played them tight the first half, and they blew us out in the second half. Um, so I just remember it being like, you know, these these guys aren't invincible. Um, they put their pants on while I get a time like us, and let's just go out there and battle with them. And and that game was probably the, one of the most physical games we played. Um, being against such a such a good opponent but um yeah it was just you know we just went out and executed um I think Tory scored a touchdown on the corner of the end zone um Steven scored on a draw or was or was that Marcus on the draw that was, um, I think that was Marcus it was Marcus on the draw because I was playing tight end I remember I ran my guy off and him turned his back um Steven yeah, had just, the I mean, infamous of, uh infamous uh kick out or kick or throw out of the back of the end zone I forget Oh, he had the bad snap, and he flipped it and <laughs> hit the goalpost, and it came right. back and play. And I was like freaking out, like, "Oh God, they're gonna pick it up and score a touchdown!" <laughs> oh man! Oh yeah, some good memories, no doubt. So that same year, obviously, 2010, you guys go down to the swamp. You already mentioned Stephen Garcia running over Will Hill, but you guys win the clinch the SEC East. You're headed to Atlanta, the first and still the only South Carolina team to ever make its way to the SEC championship game. I mean, just talk about overall from your perspective what that meant uh, to you and the team and, you know, at that point and still to this day to say that you were the South Carolina team that made, you know, punched its ticket to Atlanta. Oh, what an amazing experience. When we beat Florida down at Florida, it was a night game. Uh, we probably got back to williams Bryce from the airport at <clears throat> 2 or 3 in the morning. And I kid you not, the entire lower bowl – of our stadium was filled with fans um, who got up, stayed up. I don't know what happened, but the entire lower bowl was full of fans and they did like a pep rally at like three in the morning for us winning, uh, winning the East and getting ready to go for the uh, SEC championship game. And I mean, it was just an incredible experience. And of course we had no, no one gave us a heads up. It was like, we walk in, go to drop our stuff off in the locker room and coach Burger's like, Hey guys, come on out here. <laughs> the whole lower bowl's full, and he gives like a little spiel, and then he goes, "Hey, Demar, come say some words to the fans." And I had nothing prepared, <laughs> but I just went out there and you know gave my appreciation for them supporting us, and told them we were going to go out and uh, and give them hell for the SEC championship game. So it was, uh, you know, it was an incredible experience to be the first team to ever go. Um, you know, I wish we were the first team to ever go and to win, but. Um, you know, to really set the precedent of, uh, you know, South Carolina is a program that's that's, that's going to compete in the SEC and, um, you know, go out there day in and day out and, and go out there and compete and, you know, 
try, try, hopefully they can win one here soon. I think it's uh, the East is going to be wide open uh, here these next few years. So hopefully, you know, hopefully we were the first to go, but these next these next few years, hopefully we actually win an SEC. Yeah, no doubt. And I was just going to say, Pat, for sure, I think that you guys, um, certainly your class, I know there was a piece written a couple of days ago, maybe a week ago or so, about the 2007 class, the impact you guys had. I, I definitely think it's fair to say that you guys sort of set the precedent and laid the foundation for what we saw happen from 2011 to 2013, the, the three straight 11-win seasons, all the success that Coach Spurrier in South Carolina had. And I agree with you. I think it's just around the corner. Uh, getting back to that so I definitely want to talk about your NFL career because I will say Pat I appreciate you coming on because you are literally the first current NFL Gamecock we've had on the show so I think it's a very very unique opportunity to talk about your NFL career Um, like you mentioned you were signed by the San Diego Chargers as an undrafted free agent um, in 2011 Mm -hmm. obviously went on the IR fracture a bone in your foot you went to the Chiefs um, played a couple games with them on May 30th, 2013, you're signed by the Atlanta Falcons. Um, talk yeah. about what clicked with Atlanta because you went from being a guy that really hadn't done much in the NFL to, in my opinion, having a very, very uh, successful career, specifically with Atlanta and what has led into a successful stint with the Bills as well. Talk about what clicked for you in Atlanta. Yeah, you know, I was, you know, bouncing around. I broke my my third day of training camp my rookie year uh, with the Chargers and then Basically, I, I thought my opportunity to play in the NFL was gone before it even started. And, you know, it wasn't a, a talent thing. It was more of just a, a freak injury. I remember when I when I broke my foot after practice, I went in the training room. Knew, I knew something was up, but I just, you know, I said, can I get a bag of ice? My foot's bugging me. And the trainer's like, I can't just give you a bag of ice. Let me let me check out your foot. And I found finding out it was broken. So I think it was more of just playing with the chip on my shoulder like – you know, especially when I got to Kansas City, because when I got released from the Chargers, I went, uh, I think, four or five months and didn't hear anything from any teams. And, and my agent worked his tail off to get me an opportunity with the Chiefs. And um, I went and did a workout with them. And they signed me to their – signed me for training camp and then ended up signing me to the practice squad. And I got elevated later, uh, like week 11. I played the last five games of the season. Um, but I, I think it was more – just you know I was tired of you know bouncing around two years two different teams um and, and it was really just a good fit in Atlanta you know having uh Steven Jackson was running back there uh a vet guy who could really kind of help groom me and and my my playing ability guys like Jason Snelling and, and Jacquez Rogers and I mean who wouldn't want to play with a quarterback like Matt Ryan I mean you can that guy had when I got there he would think he was he was leading the league in like comeback victories, two minute drills uh, throughout his career. Um, so yeah, it was just you know an opportunity and, and a door open, a door shut when I was in Kansas City, and a door open when I was in Atlanta. And I just I really wanted to take advantage of it, so um, I kind of did what I've done my entire career, and I just went out there and competed. And uh, you know Atlanta really took a liking to to my skill set, and um, you know gave me that opportunity. And you know I'm, I'm forever grateful because. Uh, you know, four years in Atlanta, and then I just signed uh, four years in Buffalo two years ago. So, um, you know, first few years, it was a heck of a ride, uh, kind of mind-boggling at times. What what's gonna, what am I going to do next? Should I have a plan B? Should this or that? To uh, really putting together a solid career that hopefully, you know, if I could get to 10 years, that would be uh, that would be goal playing in the NFL. So, two more. No doubt. So, I, I got to ask you, the Falcons – 
What is Arthur Blank like? Because he looks very, you know, cool, very suave on the sidelines and everything. What What is Arthur Blank like as an owner and even around the players? He's super involved, um, which I think is really cool. I've been with some other organizations where the owners aren't as, aren't as involved. I mean, it, his his family's around all the time. They're in the locker room. They're um, game days are out there, practices they're out there. Um, so he's very hands-on. I think that's, uh, you know, part of the reason why that organization is so successful is because he has an actual relationship with the players and not, and not just guys like Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Uh, in my first, my first year there, I, I developed a relationship with him. He actually invited a hand, a hand few, a, a select few of us down to his house in Hilton Head to do a golf outing after my first year. And, you know, be, being a young fullback, I wasn't expecting to get that invite. And, and I was able to go down there and, and meet more of his family and, um, you know, it was, it was really cool. He does a really good job of making you feel important and making you feel included and, and giving you, um, you know, the confidence that, that you're a part of this organization and you're here for a reason. Uh, and I think it gives you uh, more confidence to go out there and, and play at a high level. No but doubt. He's definitely Rico, Rico Suave with all of his nice suits. <laughs> and, and he always looks so stressed on the sidelines when there's three or four minutes left. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's super involved. He's uh, he's so invested in it. And, uh, I, I know he loves it. For sure. So I want to move to 2015 because, <clears throat> excuse me, 2015 was certainly, I, I would argue, your best year of football ever in your career. You were named to the Pro Bowl in 2015, second team All-Pro, week four of the 2015 NFL season. You actually graded out as the best fullback in the NFL by Pro Football Focus, um, had your first multi-touchdown game, and you also won the Falcons' Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, or you were a nominee for them for the Falcons. Um, just talk about 2015 as a whole. You know, what did anything change going into that year? And uh, just talk about your accomplishments from 2015 as a whole. Yeah, you know, we um, that year was actually a was a tough year to start the year. Um, you know, I, I actually had just signed a two year extension, and it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a great, you know, really I was fighting for my job uh, going into that training camp. I had a guy that I was competing with for the spot and we were, we were pretty neck and neck throughout all training camp. And in the last game of the year, our last preseason game, I actually got the nod to start and I played well and I was able to kind of follow that up. But I think the, probably the biggest difference and kind of the the change why I was able to start, you know, not just playing better, but being more involved was uh, Kyle Shanahan and his offensive staff. Um, you know, they use a fullback a lot, and I'm definitely a player that plays on uh, that plays better when I'm involved more. Uh, going back to my South Carolina days, when I'm on the field more, I'm going to play more. I have more confidence. I can get in a rhythm. I think most uh, most athletes are like this. Uh, so I think a lot of it was just my play time uh, and getting getting more opportunities. And you know, with all that. Um, you know, I practiced more. I, I got more reps in practice, and I was able to really sharpen my sharpen my sword uh, when it came to the game. So um, I think a lot of it had to do with the offensive scheme. Running the outside zone was is something that's more tailored to me. Not being a big 250, 240 pound fullback, I'm 235, 236, but being able to move in space, being able to get on safeties, uh, being able to finesse linebackers, and, and when I need to get downhill, go get downhill on those guys. So. Uh, a lot of it was the scheme and, um, you know, and just, and just being utilized. So, um, 
that was definitely a big year. And also having a guy like Devontae Freeman, who, who had a breakout year that year, um, blocking for a guy like him definitely helps out too. For sure. So I almost hate to do it, Pat, but you know, I've got to ask you about it. Super Bowl 51 against the New England Patriots. Oh. <laughs> Talk about the good and the bad, because again, you're a guy, you're a South Carolina guy that it's crazy. We've seen these South Carolina Gamecocks playing in the Super Bowl. It feels like I can't remember the last time a Gamecock was in the Super Bowl. And you're a guy, you had two catches mm-hmm. for 12 yards in that game. You can proudly say, I played in the Super Bowl, I contributed in the Super Bowl, but we obviously know how the game went. I, I mean, just lay it out for people that were just watching that game on TV or even that were just in the stands. I mean, can you explain Super Bowl 51? Oh, man. Um, just so many emotions uh, throughout the course of that game that that week. I mean, it was, it was an incredible experience. You know, playing in the Super Bowl is, is an honor. and It's, you know, comes with a lot of hard work. And, um, you know, doing it with the guys that we did in Atlanta, it was a really special year. We you know, offensively, we scored a bunch of points. I think we set some records and stuff like that. So it was a really special year. But to get to the Super Bowl, uh, you know, the, between media day and, you know, literally you're gone for a week. You're pra- we practiced at the University of Rice for a week. Uh, we did meetings in a hotel. Um, so it was just a really, really neat experience, really cool experience, something that, you know, I'll have forever. But when it comes to the game, we came out, uh, we had a – an incredible game plan for him. Um, came out the first drive, drove down uh, and scored. Um, Devontae had a huge run. Uh, very first play of the game, we ran like a – and most of me out of the backfield, and we ran like a like a toss sweep, like kind of a, had some guys pulling, like a down-down around scheme. And um, it gained like 30 or 40 yards, and that's when we knew, like, all right, we're going to roll on these boys. And uh, – I think Austin Cooper or Austin Hooper, our tight end, ended up scoring the first touchdown of the game. Um, and we just, you know, cut right before halftime. Robert Alford picked picked the pass off, ran it back for a touchdown. Um, I mean, we were riding high, and I think uh, I think some of the young guys thought the game was over before it was over. Um, little did they know, there's a guy by the name of Tom Brady who had the ball uh, majority of the second half. Unfortunately, I think they had like. I think they had like 94 or 95 offensive plays the Patriots had in that game, which is an astronomical amount of plays. I think we, they limited us to 60 because when we had it, we scored. But they had had these long drives and kind of keep us off the field. Um, but, yeah, you know, when when we were up, uh, what was it, 28-3 in mm-hmm. the third quarter? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we were on top of the world. Uh, I think guys thought we had already won before we'd won. Uh, some guys got complacent, but um, I think a lot of the older guys kind of knew that we needed to continue to roll because Tom can do anything at any any point in time like he did. Um, but, yeah, you know, at the end of the game was, was pretty awful. Uh, you know, felt terrible if uh, Devontae missed the protection with uh, Dante Hightower, sack, uh, strip sack, and ended up picking the ball up and and that was like the momentum point of the game um, is when that happened because I think they got the ball. They were down two or three scores with seven or eight minutes left when that happened. And, um, you know, they ended up scoring on that drive. And and then when Julio made that catch in the fourth quarter, I'm like, you're making me relive all this stuff, and, and I hate you for it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but uh, Julio made that catch on the sideline, which, you know, Personally, I thought it sealed the game. I thought we were going to 
run the ball first, second down, first and second down, and then run the ball again on third down. And if we need a two kick a field goal, be up uh, seven points and the best we could do. Uh, or no, we would have been up two scores, uh, but we ended up throwing the ball on first down, having a holding penalty backing us up, and then we took a sack. Uh, and I think we had another holding penalty and we ended up having a punt to him. And really I was just sitting there on the sideline praying that, you know, Tom would get sacked or some fluke thing would happen. And then I think, I think that was the drive when Edelman caught the, right. The was it, I think that was the, yeah, I think that was the last drive of the game. Um, well, before, before overtime. Um, so yeah, it was just, you know, been in the locker room after the game, uh, was awful. Uh, you know, guys were crying and, and it was just, you know, so many emotions going on. You know, our season was over. That was the last time that 2016 group of Atlanta Falcons were going to be together free agency and, and how the league works. Uh, it's a revolving door. So it was, you know, it was, it was sad. Um, uh, you know, I'd probably say it took several months to get over it. Um, but, you know, there's always this, this next year where you get a chance to get back and, and play in the Super Bowl and hopefully win one. So hopefully uh, we can pick things up in Buffalo and hopefully we can get that opportunity. No doubt. You brought up a great point that I, I wanted to address. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, now currently with the San Francisco 49ers, doing big things as their head coach. There was a lot of criticism to him about – you talked about the series where you guys elected to throw the ball instead of run the ball – was there any confusion or any thoughts from the player's perspective, player's side as to, you know, obviously I know you trust in your coaches, kind of go what they say, but, I mean, it felt like everyone in the building was expecting to run the football, get the field goal, make it a two-score game like you talked about. it. I mean, do you have any insight as to why that wasn't the plan? Um, I, you know, I, I struggled with that after the game like crazy. Um, you know, it, it ate at me a lot, and I actually – uh, talked to him that night after the game. I, you know, I kind of just went up and asked him. I was like, hey, "What were you thinking?" Um, and he basically said, "You know, that hindsight's twenty twenty. If I could go back, I'd have ran the ball first down, second down, third down, kick the field goal, been up two scores." But to his, uh, you know, to his credit, he made a lot of very gutsy calls throughout the course of that year, and that's why we were so successful. Um, you know, he, um, we, we played on, we played on the edge and, um, you know, it was a call that, you know, looking back, he wishes he could, he could change it. But in the heat of the moment, that's, those are the type of calls that got us to the Super Bowl. And I think he was relying on, you know, just our team, the confidence, um, and everything that we've done so far that year. Um, so you, you can't blame him for going with what works. Um, and, and, uh, you know, Matt was the MVP that year and put the ball in the MVP's hands. Um, unfortunately, the holding penalty was kind of the, the, the dagger to that. But, um, yeah, I talked to him. We, we squashed it. He gave me a big hug and told me how much he loved me and how much he appreciated me and, and everything like that. And, um, you know, I, I still have a good relationship with Kyle unless, unless we have to play. I don't think we play him this year, but one of these years we'll play him and, and we won't have a good relationship that one week. <laughs> no, no doubt. So, um Getting off that game now, <laughs> you you uh, on March ninth, two thousand seventeen, you you sign a four year deal with the uh, the Buffalo Bills, which you like you said you're in the middle of right now. Funny side note story to that, Pat. It's funny. I was actually uh, I remember when I got the notification. I had the ESPN notifications on my phone. ESPN messed up. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, so 
I'll be honest, I'm not a huge NFL guy, more of a South Carolina college guy, but obviously mm-hmm. pull for the Panthers being here. The ESPN notification actually said you got signed by the Panthers. So I'm freaking out. Patrick DeMarco is <laughs> coming to Charlotte. We're, we got another Gamecock in Charlotte to be with Demir Bird. Come to find out like five <laughs> minutes later, my friends are like, no, he didn't. He signed with the Bills. So that that was a letdown. But you signed with the <laughs> Buffalo Bills. It's funny, again, being in Charlotte, there's a lot of uh, – a lot of people come from upstate New York. I know a lot of buddies from Ithaca, Syracuse, Rochester, even Buffalo. Um, so I definitely mm-hmm. understand. They remind me a lot of South Carolina fans, just their passion, you know, supporting their team week in, week out, no matter the result, no matter the score. Uh, what has being in Buffalo been like for you and kind of what's your relationship with the fan base and Bill's Mafia? Yeah, I mean, it, they don't – up in the north, they don't have big college, SEC. They don't – like they don't get amped and hyped for Saturday, like college game day, which still baffles me being from living, living in the South my entire life. Like you could go to, you could go to a bar on a, on a Saturday at three thirty when the CBS game's on and like nobody's watching the TV. And it's just kind of like, like, <laughs> like just another day. And then, and then Sunday clicks and uh, new era field is just, I mean, these fans are, are it's the best way to put it. It's, it's an NCC school in the NFL. Um, I mean, they, when I leave the stadium on Friday afternoon after work, the RV deck, the RV lot is full. I mean, these fans are there all weekend. They're partying all weekend. Uh, they're probably jumping through tables on, on Friday night. If, if I had to put my money on it. Um, I mean, they're just, they're diehard. Um, they live and die by it. And it's, uh, you know, it's really cool to see that passion. Um, you know, that they have. It definitely inspires us to go out and, and, and lay it all on the line because these fans, um, you know, to the sick and thin, to the weather, to the good seasons, the bad seasons, they show up and they support us and they love us. And, um, you know, it's an amazing community. Buffalo itself is, um, you know, it's a tough town and, and the people there are tough. And I think that's kind of the embodiment of the team and the culture of the team and the organization is, is, is we're just going to be tough, hard-nosed people just, just like the just like the city of Buffalo is. And I can tell you that every every other team in the NFL hates to come to Buffalo, New York, to play a football game because of our fan base and because of the weather. It's, um, you know, it's, it's quite a place to play. It's, um, you know, it's been a really cool last couple of years. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what's the transition been like for you being up in Buffalo? I mean, I know you're a Florida guy, and uh, I've been to Buffalo myself in November, early December, and, you know, you can feel the – it's funny when you're – it's really the wind, I feel like, that gets you up there. It's like slapping you in the face, that lake effect. Um, what's it been like for you going from the warm, warm, sunny Florida all the way up to Buffalo, New York? Oh, my um, – when I signed my contract, I saw I, I signed it – or I agreed to it the day before, and then I went up there to, to sign it. My first purchase of the Buffalo Bill was a winter coat because I had to fly up there in March to go sign my contract. So that was um, that was my first buy, uh, and those cuts are expensive, man. Um, yeah, oh yeah. Um, but it's uh, you know it's been it's been really cool. It's been uh, an awesome experience to to be from Florida and then live in Atlanta in the off season. Like I've I've never experienced a true true winter, um, let let alone how to shovel my own driveway and. <laughs> and do things like that. So it's it's been it's been awesome. And you know, me and my wife, uh, our son turns three on Friday. So to like be able to go outside and do snow angels and build snowmen and 
like it's just it's it's something that you know we'll have memories of it forever and um you know it's 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 been really cool um you know it hurts being outside sometimes early mornings when i wake up at 5:36, and you know we have a one car garage and of course my wife gets the uh gets the garage spot so i go out early and brush all the snow off and shovel the driveway and yeah negative five does not feel good outside in the morning <laughs> So you were, I want to talk about that. Your first season with Buffalo, you're on the 2017 team, you guys, in the 18-year playoff drought in Buffalo. I know Buffalo had to be had to be buzzing. You guys go down to Jacksonville and play. Unfortunately, don't get the win. But, I mean, just talk about, I mean, in college, you're on a team that does something for the very first time going to the SEC championship. And then you're on the Bills team in 2017, again, that breaks that 18-year playoff drought. Just talk about how cool that was to be that Buffalo Bills team that finally broke through. Oh man, I thought the I thought the fans were going to burn down the city when uh, when we won down in Miami to to get a playoff spot. I, I literally thought the city was going to burn down because these fans were they were out and we flew back that night and kind of like the whole South Carolina experience. Um, when we got to the airport, I guess I got leaked on what airport we fly into uh, and where kind of our our plane pulls up. There were I kid you not, probably five thousand fans at our at our little spot at the airport just going nuts with signs and it was on new year's too it was new year's it was new year's eve and so they canceled all, i guess all their new year's plans and they came and just wanted to celebrate with us and there was uh, there was four or five thousand fans in our like little parking lot and giving us all high fives and congratulating us and taking pictures and it was it was really cool and i mean i've so many people, so many fans have told me that that was the greatest day of their lives. Um, so it's it's really cool just how passionate these fans are and just how loyal they are. Um, you know, unfortunately, like you said, we we went down to Jacksonville and and I think we lost ten to three. It was just uh, kind of a defensive battle, and we had the ball on the one yard line and weren't able to punch it in. We actually threw a pass on the one yard line and ended up having offensive pass interference and backing us up to the 16. Uh, you know, if, if that doesn't happen, it's a whole, whole different ball game. And who knows, we, we could have played, I think they ended up playing the Steelers the next week. Um, so we could have made a run at it, but unfortunately we didn't get that game. And, you know, just, uh, just getting that one playoff game gave you a taste of what Buffalo is like in the playoffs and in the postseason. So, I mean, I'm, I'm fired up these next few years to to get a chance to, you know, potentially bring this uh, bring Buffalo home a, a a Super Bowl. No doubt, and I feel like you should be fired up because you guys have a young gunslinger. I feel like the NFL is moving towards that with these young quarterbacks, these young hotshot quarterbacks. Josh Allen out of Wyoming is drafted by the Buffalo Bills. Played his first full season this year. Um, just talk about what you saw from the young quarterback and your relationship with Josh Allen. Uh, he's a stud. Um, you know, he has the confidence of a 10-year vet. Um, and not only that, but he has the poise, and he just – he handles himself the right way. He prepares – he prepares like – prepares like a champion. Um, um, he's just an all-around just a good dude. Um, a fierce competitor kind of reminds me of Steven Garcia uh, with his athletic ability running. Um, you know, he's not afraid to drop a shoulder on a – 250 pound linebacker sometimes we tell him like hey dude calm down this is the nfl it's not wyoming you can't run over everybody here and we need you next week so don't be don't be dumb um so uh yeah having josh has been awesome uh you know he had some some rookie moments last year just like every 
just like every rookie quarterback does. But, um, you know, he's going to be a good quarterback in this league for a long time. And uh, I'm really excited about his future. Can he chug beer like Steven Garcia, I think, is my follow-up question to that. Because you, you had to drop the Garcia reference. So, um, Josh can put him back, actually. Uh, he, he's got a little bit, little bit of party boy to him. I think he was the, uh, he was the guy at Wyoming. So, um, yeah, Josh is just an all-around good dude. We, um, we went to some functions and we were able to have a, have a drink or two. And, and Josh is, you know, he's a lot of fun. He's, um, he's a good dude. He's definitely, he's definitely one of the bros. No doubt. I, I know Tom Brady's coming back for another year, but any chance you're willing to guarantee a uh, Bill's Super Bowl appearance next year? Any chance? Any chance? It's your, it's your time to do it. Hey, we're gonna give it. We're gonna give everybody hell next year, whether it gets us to the Super Bowl or not. We're gonna embrace the, the toughness of Buffalo, and we're gonna go out and we're gonna fight our tails off, game after game, and you know, hopefully that ends in a Super Bowl win. Um, you know, I'm not big on making guarantees that I can't back up, um, but I can promise you that one thing that I can guarantee you that we're gonna go out and we're gonna fight our tails off week in week out. Absolutely love to hear it. All right, last question before I let you go. Uh, because this is a South Carolina Gamecocks podcast, I want to ask you favorite uh, favorite Steve Spurrier story you have from South Carolina that you can tell on the airwaves. Oh man, um, this has to be like PG rated. Oh no, whatever. No, whatever is fine. Any <laughs> any, any Spurrier story is good with us. Oh man, um, shoot, there's so many. Um, let's go with. Um, I got one. Okay, so Coach Spurrier during training camp every year when the when the young guys come in, he always gives us like kind of a rules, like his breakdown of rules, and and it's always, um, you know, he's like, all right, guys, um, you know, I don't mind you guys talking the way you talk, saying bad words and stuff sometimes, but he's like, just no f bombs, just just no f bombs. I, I don't like that word. I don't I, I don't embrace it. So he's like shit damn hell oh that's all fine you can say that stuff just no f-bombs and like, okay okay and i think it was like week three week three or four my junior year and we're watching tape and coach Burrier has the cooker and steven throws a pick and he's watching the tape and he bursts out and he yells the f-word bleep steven what are you thinking here are you serious you're making this throw why are you doing this why are you doing that and then you hear like an awkward like ten seconds of silence, and he looks over both shoulders, and everyone's staring at him like, "Coach, that's the that's the forbidden word. You can't say that." And he goes, "Why are you guys looking at me like that?" He's like, "I said fuck, f o c k, f o c k," and uh, the whole room just started bursting out laughing. It was just oh man, just typical Spurrier moment. Awesome. Love it. Well, Patrick, I really do appreciate you being gracious with your time. We appreciate, obviously, everything that you did in Garnet and Black and, you know, laying the foundation for the program, the point it is today. And I'm very, very excited to watch you and the Buffalo Bills take on another season and really just watch how the rest of your NFL career uh, unfolds. We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to come on the show. Oh, I appreciate you guys having me. I'm, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to whenever I'm done playing, getting more involved with the university and, um, you know, maybe helping out in any capacity when it comes on the football side when I'm all done. Absolutely. No, I, and I know South Carolina Nation's very proud of you and the rest of the Gamecocks. It's very, very cool to uh, – it makes tuning into the NFL, especially for someone like me and maybe for the South Carolina fans that aren't huge NFL fans, I know it definitely makes it fun for me to tune in and 
see all the former South Carolina Gamecocks balling out on Sundays because there are plenty of them for sure at this point. But uh, but yeah, man, it's all it's always a pleasure. Let's get you back on and chat definitely sometime either during or maybe right after the NFL season. Sounds good. We uh, you know from from all the NFL guys, we appreciate all the support and love from from all Gamecock Nation. It's uh you know it's 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 a select brotherhood, and you know once you go go on campus and you play at South Carolina, you're you're part of the family forever, and we we really appreciate everybody. Absolutely, no doubt. So for Patrick DeMarco and Thomas Floyd, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next week on another another episode of the Spurs Up Show. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com